Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 7 of the Pooligans podcast. Although there were plenty of news this week, what with the Helsinki kerfuffle, the appearance of a Russian ginger femme fatale honeypot, and some juicy Michael Cohn tapes, none of that will be the subject of this intro. Why would we forego such enticing politicking, you ask, with an raised eyebrow? Well, it's confessional time here on the Pooligan podcast. This may be a tad self-indulgent, but you see, none of it is really my fault. Like a good little pooligan, I was listening to Julie Mason on the POTUS Press Pool on Sirius XM Channel 124 yesterday, following along with an interview about Sasha Baron Cohen. The interview ended, there was going to be a break as usual, but instead, well, instead the following happened. Listen. Hey, you guys, I hope you've had a chance to check out the Pooligans podcast. This is a really, really terrific venture by uh, some of our regular listeners organized by the man known as D underscore twit. This is it's really a terrific effort. It gets different listeners together every week for a podcast. And it doesn't matter where you live. You can participate uh, if you want. If you're interested, you want to learn more, get in touch with Daniel at D underscore twit. I think they're up to five episodes now. And they talk about the show and they talk about their favorite guests and uh, favorite moments, but they really get into some politics. And if you are a person who would like to talk about politics with people who listen to the press pool and are well-informed um, and, and you don't even have to be like-minded, the, the Pooligans podcast is bringing together people from all different uh, p- political perspectives uh, and for a reasonable, fun discussion of current events and politics. You should check it out. It's at buzzsprout.com and it's called hashtag. Pooligans, organized by uh, our friend and regular POTUS listener, D underscore twit. And some of your favorite f- friends from Twitter have been on Hebrew Homie, Brendan Callahan, Fitzgerald, Susan Forney, Denise Tutt, Leah Dreves, uh, Bubbles the Vampire, and uh, and more, of course, uh, Political Smark, the whole gang. You know them. Anyway, uh, it's, it's really fun, and you don't have to travel anywhere. Uh, anyway, find out more uh, from D underscore twit if you want to get in on it. It's a really, really cool thing and we sure enjoy listening to them here at the POTUS channel. It's really, really great that um, that some listeners who wanted to do their own talking about politics found a way to do that other than just calling in, although we sure love the calls too. Uh, so I hope you have a chance to check that out. Okay, so obviously that was incredibly kind and extremely encouraging and totally unexpected. I sat stunned for a bit and then I became really emotional because it all reminded me of why I started listening to the POTUS Press in the first place which is a story I haven't really shared publicly before. So if you'll indulge me, it doesn't start as an uplifting story, but I promise you that's where it ends up. <sighs> Julie, I started listening to your show by accident on the worst day of my life. I was sitting in my car outside Children's Hospital Los Angeles, stunned and numb. Minutes earlier, we had been told that our daughter's cancer had proven too aggressive and surgeries and radiation and chemo hadn't worked. And there was only one medication left, but that medication had virtually no chance of stopping something this aggressive. We were told that it was time to think about palliative care. Our daughter was 12, and she wouldn't live to be 13. I didn't know what to do, so I turned on the radio. And what comes on the fucking radio but a song my daughter and I sing in the car together, and I just, I couldn't bear it at that moment. I just, I changed the channel, only to drop into another song that we sing in the car. I had to drive, and so I couldn't break down into tears. And I just kept mashing the forward button on my car radio, passing all the music channels, mashing and mashing until I landed on talk. And the talk happened to be POTUS Press Pool, and you were complaining about Obama. I listened for a little bit, and I was pissed at your dismissive Obama opinion. But listening got me through my drive and got me thinking. And 
Then about halfway home, you told the dentist analogy. No reason to get overly dramatic. For you, politics was like dentistry. Look in people's mouth and assess the problem without getting emotional about what you find. And for some reason at that moment, I connected that to my situation, focusing on what had to be done and what could be done and not surrender to despair. There was still the medication. I didn't listen to any music channels in my car for the following four months. It was always POTUS channel. It was always the POTUS press pool whenever I could get it. I signed up for the iOS app and reactivated my Twitter and sent you my first tweet about an embarrassing Biden tape and you read it seconds later on air and, like so many others, I was instantly hooked. The POTUS press pool became my getaway from my fears about our daughter, from obsessively thinking about the unthinkable. And then at 3 a.m. on a Tuesday in March 2016, we got the phone call that the medication had worked. And it has continued to work since then, dissolving the tumor and keeping it gone. It's hard and probably nonsensical for me to try and explain how much the POTUS press pool and all the pooligans I met have meant to me over the past two and a half years. Starting the podcast was nerve-wracking because, like I told you before, I wasn't sure if you'd enjoy it or think that it would be utterly preposterous. And I'm kind of feeling the same way about what I'm recording right now. But um, I wanted to say a proper thank you for your kindness and for the encouragement. And I wanted to let you know that, yes, your Twitter interactions matter a great deal. And this may sound ridiculous, but being able to ask you and your guests questions gave me an outlet at a time when I desperately needed one. And your Twitter certainly has mattered to so many of the other pooligans that you've already heard and that you will hear on this podcast. So here's to you, Julie Mason. You may be, as you put it, a cruel and demanding mistress. But none of this, not the pooligans, not the podcast, none of it would be happening if it weren't for you. So thank you, truly. Oh, and my daughter and I started singing together in the car again. Of course, only when we're not listening to you. Ah, there we go. It's done. It's out. Uh, that was that. So it was sorry if it was too much, but it needed to be said. And now, and now we will refocus on two brand new exciting pooligans that we're wanting to meet. And they are pretty exotic because we have an OG Facebook Julie follower and he has been through it all. He's seen it all from the beginning. But we also have a young man who's not only a gifted musician, but also the first person who implored me on Twitter to please be on the podcast. So here he finally is. Without any further drama, let's meet our two outstanding guests. All right, it's that time again. We're back with two more oven fresh hashtag pooligans. So let's meet them as long as they're still warm to the touch. Our first guest is just a month shy of his 50th birthday, a lifelong resident of Illinois who keeps inching closer and closer to living in Wisconsin. He's a technician in the digital printing industry, enjoys cooking and gardening, and, and we all know this is key, he professes to love cheese and is currently endeavoring to further educate himself about pairing said cheese with appropriate wines. He identifies as an independent, but has been hearing the siren call of progressiveness. He's an amateur welder and gun enthusiast who will tell us about building his own rifles. You've heard his name many times on the POTUS press pool, and you should, of course, follow him on Twitter at Adam Reisner. That's A-D-A-M-R-E-I-Z-N-E-R. Adam, welcome. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. Our next guest, born and raised on Long Island. He will also celebrate his birthday next month. He will be 26 years old, 
Both Adam and I promise not to overly hold this against him during the majority of this podcast. He's a pianist and a piano teacher, but proficient on a variety of instruments. He loves spending a majority of his time with his girlfriend, whose celiac disease has gotten him into gluten-free cooking. He's a former Obama voter who claims the post press pool has left him more analytical than liberal. And despite his tender age, he will talk to us about his love of classic rock. <laughs> He's a young man with a Twitter handle that only makes sense if you know his name. Nate, ladies and gentlemen, you need to follow at N-O-O-G-3-I. By the way, I think that spells Noogie. Yes. In order to get your dose of Matthew Neugeborn. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Uh-huh. Thanks for re- Is that how you say your last name? It's obviously German, so I pronounce it in, in, in German fashion. But how do you pronounce it? It's Neugeborn. Uh-huh. But yes, it is, uh, I think it means newborn in uh, it, German. It appropriately for a millennial on this podcast uh-huh. means means freshly born. <laughs> that is correct. You are newborn. <laughs> so as always, before we get into the POTUS press pool specifics, we're quickly going to talk about your political leanings, because I think that's always interesting at the outset to sort of understand how you approach the show and why it might appeal to you or why certain parts of it appeal to you so if it's okay we'll start with adam and then we'll go to matt adam where do you think do you stand would you say these days on political issues i am pretty far to the left uh these days and it's actually opposite of what the conventional wisdom is depending on who you talk to where they and there's a saying and i can't recall exactly what it is but it has something to do with uh when you're young you're liberal when you're older, you know better. Um, I tend to come from a more liberal family. So I actually started out more on the conservative side, uh, voted for HW in 88, but then voted for Clinton in uh, 92. I've just continued to move. Well, I should say I haven't moved farther to the left. I think the the left has moved farther to the left than me. But but that's pretty much where I stand. I'm pretty socially liberal relatively fiscally liberal as well. Uh, I, I think that the money that goes into the treasury should be there to serve people. I get frustrated sometimes when I hear people speak about waste. Uh, while there certainly is, uh, uh, people direct their ire at, at places where it doesn't belong. So uh, that was kind of a long, long-winded way to say I, I consider myself to be pretty progressive. Mm-hmm. Pretty progressive. Excellent. And now our friend Matt says that he has actually come sort of down from his uh, from his flight of fancy into liberalism. Matt, where do, where do you find yourself? What's your, your journey been in the political world? Yeah, so um, I started really getting into politics um, when I was in high school during Obama's uh, first election, and I was uh, smitten with him. I think as many people my age, um, and I was smitten with the entire Democratic Party. We were just coming out of the Bush term, and uh, it felt like we'd been lied to by our government, and I was very, very liberal. I loved Obama. I loved, I mean, now it sounds kind of crazy, but I loved Anthony Weiner. I'm from New York. <laughs> and um and he would get on the house floor and he would scream about you know how the health ins- how the, the republican congressmen are lobbyists for the health insurance companies and i loved his brash style of politics and um yeah 
As yeah, he, he, he apparently loved people your age as well. <laughs> yes, he did. He yeah. did. He did. Um, and, uh, so from there, as I, as I got, you know, a bit older and definitely with the getting into the press pool, I started to get a little more neutral and moved a bit towards the middle. I know Julie always kind of brings you back to center and, and, and says how both sides are, are full of it. And so now I, I would say I'm a bit more center. I mean, on social issues, I, uh, I'm pretty progressive, but a lot of, um, a lot of the economical stuff and on healthcare and other things, I think that I'm a bit more conservative than I at least used to be. But, uh, every day I kind of, I, I, see where the wind blows me we've heard it discussed on the press pool many times that the pelosi feinstein schumer top level of the democrats the leadership is definitely aging and i because you mentioned earlier that obama really excited you and and many of your peers at the time do you feel a, a real sense of loss of of that excitement or is there anybody right now on the democratic side that you could say okay maybe this would get me excited again. I guess that is the question, right? And that is what the Democrats have been struggling with. And, and that is why they've lost the election. Um, because they cannot seem to find this young energy. And I guess the only person they found it in was Bernie Sanders. It, it, just, it just didn't really seem likely that he was going to win that primary or win the election. Who kind of excites me? I guess this... Um, Ocasio-Cortez is, is a bit interesting. Uh, what do you think about her? I mean, she kind of seems to have this grassroots uh, energy about her. That's a bit exciting. Mm -hmm. She's also, speaking of Sanders, I think, is about to do an event together with Sanders, if I'm not mistaken, in the not-too-distant future. So it will be it will be interesting how that... The, the thing with her is that I think she brings up that whole discussion of the Abolish Ice Movement wing of the party, which to some people is exciting and appealing and to the other people seems extremely foolhardy and a really good way of handing an election to the Republicans. Yeah, I would kind of tend to, I would tend to agree with that latter. I think that that is kind of one of those things that I just don't, I see handing over an election to middle America that says, you know what, maybe we don't want to see parents separated from their children and we don't want to see mass deportations, but we need to do something and abolishing ICE is just, I just, it seems like it's handing to the fear mongering that Trump is so good at. If he says the other side's, mm -hmm. the other side wants to abolish ICE. Not the most prudent statement in the world, one would, one would assume. Adam, do you think, do you feel similarly to our, to our much younger friend yeah. that the Democratic Party is, is not quite where it should be as far as its leadership is concerned, as far as energy is concerned? Or do you feel that these leaders and their experience count for something? That is hard maybe to make up by a new generation who may be exciting, but just not experienced enough to get a race all the way through to the finish line. I wholeheartedly agree, and I think that's where we have some common ground, even if on policy we don't 100% agree. I, I don't agree with abolishing ICE. I can start there. Um, I think Ocasio-Cortez, uh, if I'm pronouncing her name correct, I think that, that she shows promise as a candidate. Um, I, I think that moving towards further to the left require steps. But I do agree that uh, with leadership, I have a lot of frustration with leadership. 
Uh, and I, I don't disagree with a lot of the things that um, Nancy Pelosi says. She's kind of a lightning rod. Um, Chuck Schumer as well. And I, I think that it's time, as much experience as they have, that maybe instead of making it a fight to of someone else challenging their leadership, maybe they should be uh, working it in such a way that they're going to step down peacefully and help to select someone to take that leadership role. Not necessarily not run for election anymore. I'm not saying Chuck Schumer should stop running for senator. He's been effective for New York, and Nancy Pelosi has certainly been effective for her district. But I think that it's time to do maybe what John Boehner did as Speaker of the House, where not necessarily in the resignation part, but in helping to select who his successor would be. Absolutely. I'm I'm still actually marveling at, and this has also been, I think, an ongoing discussion on the on the press pool about the lack of depth in the Democratic bench, that idea that they knew that Obama made one of his major shortcomings out of all the qualities he had. One of his major shortcomings, I think, was that he did not take care of the party, that he did not pay attention to what would come next, because the next had already sort of been preordained as being Hillary Clinton, I think. And there has really been a lack of trying to foster those younger Democratic members and, and getting them into the game. And it, I feel like uh, even after Obama left, they have not done a great job at doing anything different from what they knew was a mistake. I, I don't think they really were very good at at uh, correcting Obama's mistake. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you there as well. It's And I'm one of the biggest Obama huggers you'll ever find, uh, to use one of Julie's mm-hmm. terms. But the, there were a lot of things that I found disappointing, especially in a second term. Uh, what you just said is one of them. And, and the other thing is, he I think that he really failed to use the bully pulpit. And as much as I have a strong distaste for Trump, it's something that he does very effectively, which is using the bully pulpit. It's all he does. Everything he does is bully pulpit. So if Obama could have found somewhere of a happy medium in between his lack of use and the way that Trump uses it every four seconds on Twitter, I, I think that things might have gone a little bit different. I think that we might have had Merrick Garland seated if he would have used the bully pulpit. I think uh, Obama, he always thinks he that the people will just realize how right he is on everything. And how he just has this aura about him that he is is so moral and he is so wise and that if only the people could realize that then they would get on board with his agenda and i think they kind of they kind of uh misjudged the american people um and where they were at i know there was a a a few new york times op-ed pieces about kind of obama this all wise guy who just felt like it was the wrong time and and i guess not and that that's kind of their view of doing the autopsy of 2016 is that maybe it was just the wrong time and the people weren't ready for a man like obama when really refusing to be introspective i guess about it and see look at their own shortcomings you see even if you look on twitter you see all those former obama staffers john favreau ben rhodes uh vitor they all have this aura of why can't the people realize how right we are about everything literally their podcast is called pot that saves america so <laughs> yes. i think i i take your point matt i know um ocasio cortez i think she recently had a a bit 
of a blunder talking about um, unemployment, giving some uh, misguided information about what actually makes up the unemployment rate. And I guess we shall see if she's really ready for her close-up. Maybe that is, um, you know, she's been thrust onto the spotlight of, of this, this Hispanic woman. She's been on Colbert. She hasn't even won election yet. And I guess we'll see if she really is uh, all sizzle but no steak. Or if she's really got what it takes. Yeah, I, I know the, rep- the Democrats would definitely be ready for somebody that is the actual steak. Because, <laughs> like we said, there's not a lot of staking at the moment going on over there. Very, very aged steak. Very, very aged steak. <laughs> hey, Matt. More of a stew at this point, yes. <laughs> Matt, I have to ask, are you sure you're only 26? That are you ready for your close-up is a very old reference. That even predates me. <laughs> did, did you not hear in the intro that we are going to discuss Led yes. Zeppelin at the end of this at yes. the end of this podcast? That's a subject I enjoy. <laughs> wise beyond my years, as they say. <laughs> Definitely wise beyond his years. Okay, so now we'll actually venture into this after this uh, brief detour into actual politics. We're now going to venture back to the POTUS press pool part of this particular particular endeavor adam yes how did you become a hashtag pooligan and do you remember the moment that you fell hard for the potus press pool and its charming overlord julie mason well it's funny i kind of tweeted this to her early today earlier today i was a, a listener every day of stand up with pete dominic which is the time slot that julie took uh when the show initially came on i listened because it, in my job as a technician, I drive from place to place, and in I've gotten a promotion about, or I got a promotion about three years ago, which has me listening less live and more later, but I used to hear most of the show, and when she first came in, I'm like, who is this person? I really didn't care for her in the very beginning, <laughs> but, you know, she grew on me, and, and I listened because I've been since probably my early 20s more of a talk radio listener than a music radio listener and i started to like her just a little bit and you know peeled back the veneer and i got to love the wit the extreme humor i get taken in completely by her laugh and and i also followed her on facebook shortly after she had the show so i i was an early adopter there which put me in friend status as opposed to follower status so on occasion and i do it less now because i know she has a lot more people who are listening and who are following and who are commenting but i used to every once in a while throw her a private message on facebook just to say hello and she's and one of the things that really pulled me in was she's incredibly responsive i've known uh via the radio via the airwaves a number of different personalities who i've been fan of over the years but I've yet to find somebody who was on a national stage who is so approachable by fans. Matt. Yes, sir. My dear friend, I, I'm exceedingly curious since the first time you contacted me and said you wanted to be on this podcast, how you found the POTUS press pool and how you got into the Mason saga. Uh-huh. Into the Mason web. The Vortex of Julie. Mm-hmm. Um, so during, I think it was the 2012 um, election, I um, I tuned in to uh, Smirkanish and I found Julie. And I kind of thought, this is a bit different. She's almost making fun of everybody. <laughs> and it's kind of amusing. 
and she she's talking about all these politicians and she's not putting them up on a pedestal. She's making them seem like real people. She's for all their faults. And, and then she has all these, these guests on that give you a real perspective because they interact with these people every single day and they know them. Uh Oh, <laughs> poppy rage oh. poppy rage has broken out oh. sorry i guess they didn't like what i had to say yeah you really upset that little oh. dog a lot you could tell it it did not like that at all please continue now that okay yeah so and then she would have these guests on and they were beat reporters and they just they gave a different perspective than you hear on any other show or any any other cable show anywhere that it just it seemed like they were humanizing every politician and i was i was hooked i was hooked and then i i got my twitter account and then during 2016 i i did venture off for a little bit towards um oh the end of obama's term to howard stern because um i did explore some other options i tried to think i experimented a bit as they say but during 2016, I came back to Julie um, and all the excitement in that election, and I really loved hearing her read my tweets on the air and hearing and making her laugh and hearing it. It it was almost addicting. You know, I would just these were the long primary days where things would be happening pretty much for the morning. Not like it's any different now, but. Um, and I would tweet at her and, and really try to make her laugh. And she's great. I really hope to one day meet her. Aha! Ah, we have our first dating request. <laughs> Excellent. No, 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 um, no. <laughs> I, I told you what I wrote in my bio. <laughs> Not dating request. Yeah, yeah. I, You're going to get me in I trouble. Saw, I saw. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. We're down. Nobody's getting in trouble. Nothing. Everything's everything's totally fine. She has many boyfriends, including Jim Acosta. Jim Acosta and, so, and, and Chris Freitz. And, and Chris Freitz, she likes too. Yeah, Chris Freitz, <laughs> Devin Nunes. Uh, it, it, the, the list the list is impressive. I I believe oh. Adam. In a what do you know? What brings you back on a daily basis to a three hour program? Uh, in order to uh, and and. What is it that draws you back in on a daily basis? And you said earlier that sometimes you listen live, sometimes you you listen to the uh, to the on demand. But what brings you back on a daily basis? Uh, well, mostly Julie. But it, it's if I need to go somewhere to get my news, um, it, it's where I go back to. Reason being is that there is such a diversity in viewpoints. And I find myself listening to people who I would not normally seek out their opinion, but she'll have somebody on, they'll bring up a point, and I think, well, you know, maybe I haven't looked at it that way, and then I'll read the article. And sometimes I still go, ha, ah, it's still a load of crap. And other times I go, well, <laughs> they have a good point. I don't agree, but at the very least, they're making an effort to make a cogent point. And, uh, and it's constant. I, I mean, I have quite a few people that I, I would consider favorite guests, uh, uh, among which uh, I love it when she has, let's see, I want to say his name is um, uh, Stuart McLaurin from the White House Historical Association. Oh, yeah, he's yeah, great. Yeah. yeah it, uh, we're going we're, we're gonna to get there. Okay. We're going to get to the All favorites. Right. Okay. We will but do that. It, it, it just we in will... general, yeah, that's, that's what it is. It's just a diversity of viewpoints. Totally legit. Matt, do you, how often do you listen to it? Do you listen to three hours when it's actually on? Do you listen to on demand? How do you do your Julie? How do you do your Julie? 
<laughs> wow, what a question. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I would say during the summer, I do catch a lot of the show live. During the fall and the spring when I'm teaching, I do. I can only catch it in small segments when I'm going from person to person. Um, but then I, I get it on the app, which this new app is great. For a little while, the SiriusXM app was... Uh, was left something to be desired. Um, I would always find myself tweeting at Julie or Patrick Faris or even um, Steel and Unger uh, saying, where's where's the episode? Where's the episode? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like lately the app with the redesign has been excellent um, all around. So I would say for now, for the summer, I do most live. Um, during the fall and the spring, a lot of it is on demand, which is unfortunate because, um, you can't interact with her really, which, which kind of is a lot of the fun of the show. Yeah. That, the, the delay in the app is, uh, is a great cause of my frustration. I might actually have to order one of those satellite radio things, the, the, the freestanding ones, just so I can up my Twitter game because that's, uh, it's disturbing when you finally come up with something witty and then you can't send it because it's already the next segment and nobody cares right. anymore. Yeah. Do you guys feel, Adam, do you feel like a better informed listener after you listen? And do you have significant other or friends that you share any of that information with? Or do you keep your political talk to yourself and avoid at all costs? Uh, well, my wife gets to hear more than she probably would like to. Uh, some A lot of times she rolls her <laughs> eyes at me. Uh, but often she'll she'll come home from work. She gets home usually about a half an hour or so after me, and she'll be, so what's your girlfriend have to say today? And it's, <laughs> it's kind of a running joke, and actually that goes back to uh, instant mess or private messages that I sent to Julie over Facebook. And, and we, we had agreed at that time that I can be her intellectual, or she can be my intellectual girlfriend. I don't know if she recalls it or not. She might chuckle if she heard me say it, but uh, if I dug through my, my messages, I would, probably find it. But uh, I usually keep my political views pretty close to the vest, except for some of the people that I interact with on Facebook. Uh, one in particular, who's one of those that uh, uh, she's a trumpeter and uh, shares just about every kind of actual fake news that you can imagine. So uh, I I'm feel much better informed and uh be more than happy to call her out but uh most of my friends that i do discuss politics with it's kind of a mutual uh admiration society makes sense and matt how about you do you actually take your political your political knowledge that you gain from from being a pooligan to the outside world and spread it around do i spread it around a bit i i do i don't know if many people i know really know about um my personal political views they know i'm very interested in following it like a spectator but i don't i do not i'm kind of like julie where she says i don't get emotional about it I'm like your dentist. I just go in and I kind of look around your mouth and tell you what to do. Um, no, I would say I do, I do oftentimes send my girlfriend things or tell her something I heard and she is not political at all. She has no time for it. She could care less about, um, politics and she's just like, oh, great. How did this, uh, what, what is this adding to my life? <laughs> Why should I care? I'm, I'm glad that uh, across the United States, from California to the, Atl- nearly to the Atlantic, and from age 50 
to age 26, the experience of significant others not really very much caring about what we have to say about politics is pretty much universal. Yeah, I think uh, it is. It is completely universal, especially um, us men and with our Julie, you know, how we can get fawning over and these women just, oh, God, here they go again. <laughs> I actually have to ask our female members on, I'll ask, uh, I'll actually ask uh, Unruly Julie on, on Saturday's <laughs> weekend podcast whether she suffers a similar fate with her husband or if this is something that is unique to men because of that, because of that relationship with Julie. That's actually an interesting point. Yes. I, we'll do some investigative reporting. No, I, I do have to say that over the years, I've kind of gotten my wife a little bit more into it because... She's she's a big Obama hugger like me, and she is just starting to enter into the policy realm, and that's kind of what I am as a, a almost a. I wouldn't say I qualify for policy wonk, but uh, I'm getting there. Policy wonkery, much and much admired status <laughs> on the press pool. Policy wonks always welcome. Self-proclaimed policy wonks, yes. Mm -hmm. We got a Paul Ryan mm -hmm, on our hands. Mm -hmm. He, but you know what? People still are totally on board with that. He is still known as a policy wonk, despite the fact that I think it was there was ample evidence for the fact that that might just be hearsay and something that people just came up with about him that didn't really play into his actual policies that he presented. Being a policy wonk is in the eye of the wonky. <laughs> that is true. Nobody's to say how you do your wonk. <laughs> so we established earlier, and, and, and Adam touched on it a little bit. Actually, you both did. Twitter is sort of the main way that Julie, for the purposes of the press pool, communicates with her audience. Is that a, twi a Twitter interaction? Is that something that you seek out? Do you make an effort? Do you love having your name read? Is it whatever to you? How do you feel about getting on the program, Adam? I, I, I enjoy it greatly. The, the first time she read a tweet from me, it, it kind of thrilled me. It, it was electrifying at that moment because it was like, oh, wow, she's actually paying attention. I mean, I'd heard her, I'd heard her read tweets before, but... She hadn't read one of mine, and at that point, I'd probably only tweeted a time or two. But I try to do, when it comes to tweeting, a less is more thing. I don't usually try to tweet unless I think that I have something that's that's a valid point, or uh, I don't do too much with asking questions because usually I'm driving at that point, and by the time it's I want to ask a question, the guest has passed and she's gone to break. But, you know, sometimes <laughs> in the last week, I think I've pulled over two or three times to send her a tweet. Pulling over to tweet. That is a new oh. one. That That is, that is a, a serious... That is when you know, so we're going to start a new book, Bubbles, if you're listening to this. We're now going to start a new book. We already have the book of book of Julie. We're now also going to start the book of Pooligan. One sign that you're a Pooligan, you're pulling over in order to tweet. Yeah, or maybe that's just the title, Pulling Over to Tweet. Works for me. <laughs> of the book. <laughs> pulling Over to Tweet, the Julie Mason story. But, <laughs> but I, I, I do... I do try to wait until I have something that, that I either think is a really good point or that I think she's going to just think it's funny. Because if I can if I can draw that laugh out of her, then I think that I have really accomplished something. That is sweet. Matt, do you use the Twitter in order to get your name read on the show, or is it something that you don't really care that much about? I guess lately I haven't been using Twitter as much to get my name read on the show because I haven't been listening as much live. I do oftentimes, um, when something comes up that, you know, in out of show hours, um, in the morning or 
later on in the evening that I really want her perspective on, I will send her a tweet and ask her about it. I think, um, you know, for example, when that whole saga where the New York Times had this interview with Stephen Miller where they got rid of the audio and didn't release the transcript, I... I was like, huh, I wonder where Julie stands on this, where the New York Times is basically did this interview and then um, the White House says, can you get rid of all the evidence of this? And the New York Times is complicit in that, where Julie's head at and, and where that is journalistically, if that is something that's ethical or not. So I do find myself reaching out to her and saying, what's your take on this? And she's always super responsive. It, it's really, it's really something. <laughs> Did you get a stern talking to for asking that particular question? Because I know that, that nobody, it, it turns out that nobody really was on board with the idea that the New York Times had to release any of that yeah she said she uh i guess i can uh she said i got it up here she said they did an interview with him for a story then then wanted to use the tape for a podcast the white house didn't like that and so the paper used his comments but not the recording totally fine in my opinion he had that right boom yeah boom that's 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 the queen has spoken okay i rest my case but i think that is what's so great about the show is that i'm glad that there is somebody whose counsel i actually can value in that sense where i don't have to get my non-existent hair on fire but instead can just accept the fact that somebody with a ton of experience in the actual realm can gauge whether or not that is some sort of grave infraction or whether it's actually fairly meaningless. Yep. It's, uh, yeah. She's an expert. She's been doing this a while and she always has an unbiased take. It is helpful. Now, I happen to know that both of you are also Facebookies, I believe. Mm-hmm. And Adam was mentioning earlier that he's followed julie for a long time on on facebook i'm not sure matt how long you have been following her but how do you gauge so the difference between the facebook following and what goes on on facebook uh, with that audience versus the twitter experience Adam? well facebook is more real life uh and what i mean is personal life she has a lot of pictures like when she goes out with carol lee and and carol's adorable son uh she Post, that'll be where she posts dog pics and pictures of her great vacations, that, that vacation house that she stays in. You know, that's that's where I see the difference. She doesn't usually do a whole lot of sharing of articles on Facebook. She will do some, like when she wrote the op-ed that she shared on Facebook as well as Twitter. But typically... Twitter is more for more business and Facebook is more pleasure it seems. You know what I'm I really regret that not more people mention the the pictures of the Pazuzu shrine on Facebook. I had not known anybody previously who had a Pazuzu shrine in their home and I was absolutely delighted. She even sent a link from Etsy where Pazuzu statues can be purchased. Not familiar this, with that. This was a highlight from you're not no, familiar? Matt, do you know what a Pazuzu statue... No, I do Hold not. it! Okay, okay, wait! That's why I only got confused. Silence. Neither <laughs> one of you... Uh, neither one... Okay, fine. Okay, I'm going to write this down. Neither of my guests knew what a Pazuzu statue... Well, okay. Gentlemen, you have homework from this podcast that I've never really assigned homework. I'm how doing do it now. <laughs> you must... You must watch The Exorcist, the quintessential horror movie. Oh, 
That I've seen. Well, then you should know that Pazuzu, of course, is the demon in The Exorcist. Okay. Huh. And there is a Pazuzu statue, and so Julie Mason is the owner of a Pazuzu shrine in her home. Huh. I wow. Even yeah. one tree. Shout out to you, Pazuzu. There you go. <laughs> no. Wow. Now everybody knows. Are we going to see an uptick in Pazuzu statue sales on the internet because I, of this I, podcast? I was just going to say, if the if if you're the person on Etsy who's wondering why the <laughs> fuck your Pazuzu statues are suddenly in hot demand and you can't like stop whittling Pazuzu statues, this is I, why. I think we might need to buy some Pazuzu stock. Exactly. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah, we're actually going to rename this the Pazuzigans. <laughs> the Pazuzigans. <laughs> Matt, what is, your, what is your Facebook experience with Miss Mason? And do you have an opinion on the comparison between folk that respond and post on Facebook versus the folk that respond and react on Twitter? I think Twitter is, um, is mostly current event based. I think kind of because of how fleeting Twitter is and how it's moment to moment. Um, She mostly stays on politics on Twitter and current events, whereas on Facebook, we see a bit more of the person, Julie. We see her music tastes. We see a bit of her social life. We see her Franklin Pierce uh, cardboard cutout thing. <laughs> um, we see uh, we see Carolee's very very cute son. So and then we just see a bunch of of miscellaneous articles and interests and things. So I would say I go on Twitter more, just because. It, it interests me more. But on Facebook, we do see a different side of Julie. Um, and I am always surprised by certain things like um, her music taste. I think when she was doing her, her CD list, uh, we saw some Chopin in there. And I was like, wow, I thought this was a punk rocker. Chopin. Wasn't that a topic today? I just I heard. I, we just so. heard that discussion today, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was actually saying when she goes home, she actually doesn't necessarily listen to punk rock. But mm-hmm. there's uh, there's some other things that she enjoys listening to. Some 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 softer and more relaxing and more dulcet mm-hmm. tones. Dulcet tones. After a day of, of tough microphonery. Yeah, well, I mean, someday she does, uh, like, she'll do this cover for Smirkanish, and, uh, and then she'll do her show, and then if it's a special event, she, I think, uh, she'll do, you know, special coverage, and I know, uh, yeah, so that is a, a tough day of microphonery. Mm-hmm. No, well, I, not that I would want to insult anybody, but I'm just gonna come out and say it. I wish she filled in for Smirkanish every day. <laughs> that, that's... <laughs> That's 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 just me. I could totally do with less Marconish, more Julie. My day would be improved. I would not be doing much else other than listening to the radio, but I I would I would feel good about that change. I got to be yeah, honest. Yeah. Yeah. Smirconish has um his moments. Um but yes, I, I love when uh, Queen Julie sits in that seat. Yeah, I, I enjoy those too when when I get to hear for a good most of the day. Because uh, a lot of the times I spend more time in the car in the morning than in the afternoon. And that's a big bonus for me. Same here. So this is always the problem. I drive my kids to school. It's Smirconish on the way to and from, which is about 45 minutes or so. And I would, I just, it's not my preference. It's the nicest way I can put it. How'd you feel about Steel and Unger? I loved Steel and Unger. I thought Steel and Unger was uh, problematic for me when I first listened to it. I, I was not a huge fan, but I think Steel, once, once Trump was elected, Steel, I think, think had some very important things to say and some things that I really wanted to to hear and wanted to listen to not necessarily because I thought that he he was just solely against Trump 
but because I think he had a really interesting perspective on a part of the GOP that we watched disintegrate almost in real time. Yeah, yeah right, definitely. And so I, I thought it was, I thought his his perspective and both of their, both of them together. I, I really loved Steel and Unger. I, I missed the show to be honest. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I thought yeah. Michael, and I agree with what you're saying because as time went on and as the possibility of Trump became greater, I think that Michael is a serious and I believe lifelong Republican, especially having been in leadership positions and as an elected official, just was frustrated with what he was seeing. And I'm not even going to get into the thing that people talk about, well, he's part of the establishment or any of that kind of stuff. It didn't have anything to do with that. It had to do with the fact that he's a genuine, dyed-in-the-wool conservative but I would like to think more centrist. And what he saw happening to his Republican Party drove him crazy. Yeah, I I mean, Steele and Unger was a bit crossfiery for me, for my taste. Um, having the guy on the right and the guy on the left, and they're going to kind of duke it out. Sorry, Matt, please let the record show at this particular moment that our 26-year-old just mentioned crossfire. Please do continue. <laughs> Did you not find Steele and Unger to be a bit like that? I mean, it's a very, very different style of political show than... Um, Novak? Yeah, I mean, or even... Julie or Smirconish where they have the two guys on each side and kind of debating the issue. No, I I agree with you. I mean, that's definitely, it was definitely in the spirit of, I'm I'm not arguing with you. I'm just complimenting you on on a a callback of of a show that has long left us. (laughs) Long left us. Um, Yeah, I I liked Steel and Unger. I think, you know, Steel, he was, he built, you know, a lot of that GOP that really, he saw all his work become, um, undone with Trump and Reince Priebus, who just basically undid his legacy um, in the Republican Party. Yeah, I I actually would tend to say that towards the end of Steele and Unger, aside from uh, an occasional conservative talking point from Michael Steele, it, it kind of was Unger and Unger at the end, because because <laughs> I, there wasn't much that Rick would say that, that Michael would disagree with. <laughs> Unger and Unger. I get what you're saying. And maybe, you know, in a confirmation bias type of way, I enjoyed that part of it. I thought it was nice to hear a lifelong Republican admit to the fact that that, for lack of a better term, shit was messed up. <laughs> it, it was refreshing, especially considering that a lot of other Republicans, at least at least openly and out loud, have a problem taking that particular viewpoint. Yes. And uh, but I I get what you're saying. I'm I'm almost curious whether on Sirius's side that may have been part behind the thinking of why why now if we're if we're off the crossfire model and we're now doing basically two two liberals talking about bagging on Trump. Right. Yeah. Why do we have this show? But I mean, it, it it's actually not. It, it it does them injustice. I think they they still ran a a great program with interesting guests, and I always appreciated Unger's really deep knowledge about, is particularly about healthcare. Yes. Yeah, yeah, super super interesting guy on healthcare reporting, and they also always had that. Um, I think he was a Georgetown professor, Supreme Court mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. Do you do you know who I'm talking about? I, I know exactly I know who you're, you're talking, talking about, about but I, I I'm terrible with names. Yeah, I'm terrible. Yes, with names. Uh, I always found that guy very very interesting uh, when it came to when they would go through the Supreme Court cases. They are missed. Steel Unger, I'll be listening to your podcast. Not that you'll be listening to this, but I'm just saying I'll I'll be listening to your podcast once it comes online. Pour one out for your steel and your Unger. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, they're they're missed. But we did get in the kerfuffle. We did come out with an Olivier Knox, which 
which I've really enjoyed listening to. I, I actually really like Olivier. He knows more than most people ever will about the ins and outs of foreign policy. Mm-hmm. So it's richly appreciated. Yeah, I um, I I really like Olivier. I'm glad to see he's back. The Julie and Olivier show is definitely happening with alcohol. So I honestly <laughs> cannot wait. I'm going to have to find out whether there are tickets that can be bought for this event because... <laughs> That just that sounds that sounds extremely enticing. Can't wait to see where that goes. And I, I also can't wait for all the times where the next morning when the regular show is back on, there will be apologies. I can't, like walkbacks. I don't know. It, it, <laughs> it, things that were said. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it will be a little it will be like the Trumpian Helsinki syndrome almost. It will be like you I know, didn't really mean that. Yesterday I said that that guy's a fucking moron. I did not mean fucking moron. I was a double negative. Negative. I meant he is, of course, not a fucking moron. Yes. Yes. That is what I meant. Now, if they do that show, I'm just hoping it's the 17th, 18th, or 19th of September because I plan on being in D.C. those few days. Ah. Um, our, our friend Adam is working, chipping away on that uh, real-life Julie experience. Ringside. Possibly, but I think I'd have a better shot on a weekend. But I, I plan to at least drive by the Sirius XM studios to see if I can get a glimpse. <laughs> <laughs> from yes. the outside in case she just happens to be standing on the yes. window yeah yes just w- sort of waving <laughs> to the passerbys a royal hand yes. wave um okay so julie uh, if you see a car pass by your window it might be adam trying to catch a glimpse the puppies are back hi puppies oh yes you heard one of them jump i'm guessing yes so, yes y- yeah they they tend to if anything goes past the window i'm in the living room to give my wife a little bit of quiet uh if anything goes past the window it gets the little one's attention okay we you know what we actually for reasons that i can't even fully explain have not yet had any pet appearances on the podcast which i regret because i know that there have been a lot of pets that have gone (laughs) unnoticed during these recording sessions what kind of what kind of pets do you have there i saw a cute picture but yes. please describe. Okay, the smaller dog was claimed to be a Chihuahua as a puppy. We got we both dogs are adopted. Uh, she was claimed to be a Chihuahua, but as time went on, I'm relatively certain she's a toy fox terrier. And <laughs> the bigger dog Close. is yes, and the bigger dog is of origins unknown. Uh, she was found as a stray in the city of Chicago and was uh, at uh, at a shelter and returned twice and thought to be close to unadoptable and i said well i'm gonna prove you wrong and i adopt so she uh she had bitten the two previous adopters which without getting really into the stories because that's not what this show was about i'll just say that those people were inexperienced dog handlers and did things that were really stupid i do things to that dog that people say can't be done like picking her up she's turned into a fantastic dog incredibly Incredibly good dog, especially with my granddaughter, who's now six, who she's doted on since she was uh, in a crib. Since she was a just a little tiny baby and first visited us here at the house, I want to say at about twelve weeks old. Wow. Okay, Adam, from one dog owner to another dog owner, my profound respect for doing that because a lot of those dogs that are that are that are cast off as problem dogs because they showed aggressive behavior or or not enough submissive behavior toward other owners, it's frequently the owner's fault that dogs behave the way that they do. In fact, I'd say almost always. Yes. And so, so kudos for taking in for taking in a dog that otherwise would have been would have probably not had a great expectation 
uh, of 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 living out her life over there at a shelter as a dog you know branded as being a biter thank you yeah i i tend to i tend to gravitate towards hard luck cases and she's not even the hardest of hard luck cases uh, a number of years ago i adopted a german shepherd mix who was 16 years old mm-hmm. and uh, she was at a pet store adoption event, and I was speaking to the coordinators uh, from Save a Pet in northern Illinois to give them a little bit of a plug. Great organization. She said, this dog is 16. She was uh, adopted as a puppy by the original owner and returned by her family when the elderly woman went into a nursing home. And I looked at her and her name from them, probably the only dog whose name I never changed. Uh, her name was Angel. And I looked at this 16-year-old cowering dog in a crate and said, who's going to adopt this poor mess? And she lived to be a ripe old age of 22 years old. And <gasps> No was way. A, yes, she was a fantastic dog. Uh, at the time she passed, I was working for uh, an emergency veterinarian. And she had gone from, when I got her at the age of 16, it was impossible to keep her under 50 pounds. And at the time that uh, she was euthanized, she could not be kept over 25. So she, being of very little means, I didn't have the money to get all kinds of testing done. But essentially what Dr. Tompkins said was, if this dog does not have cancer, she has something that could eat cancer. So Wow. Um, I had a lot of luck with that dog. So to anybody who's listening, don't always look after the puppies. The little one, Margarita, my wife wanted a puppy, so she got her. But Henny's mine all mine, and I highly suggest going after a dog that might need a little bit of extra effort or the one that's not quite as cute and cuddly. Mm. Fully support, Adam. Fully support. I went, as as, uh, Julie pointed out to me, with the most basic dog and got a golden retriever because my... (laughs) uh, I had I had young kids and I wanted to make sure that the dog, because it was big and they had never had an experience with a dog, was the kind of dog that really got along with kids. Mm-hmm. And yes. so we and so we have our basic dog, but he is a, he's a, he's a, a tremendous boy. But I have a I, I adopted dogs previously and always enjoyed that experience and always like you went for dogs that were not the obvious easy adoptions and a yep. lo- lot of respect for that adam well done well done thank you always look in the scratch and dent bit mm-hmm. Ma- <laughs> matt matt do you have any pets now that we're on on this i do not have any pets my girlfriend has two dogs and she recently just adopted a uh, a maltese that was spray painted uh purple on a bit bit of her uh, she rescued it was uh she, you know, so I think that, you know, the people, the, the adoption, the rescue place said that it wasn't like a, it was like a vegetarian type of spray. It wasn't terrible, but still, um, the, the purple has, has grown out, but she, uh, when she first had her, him, she would always say, all right, this is my new dog, but I did not do this to him. I did not do this to him because <laughs> she was so self-conscious that, People thought she would spray paint a dog. Yes, humans can be the cruelest animals. That is definitely true. First of all, so much for the dispatch from the from the POTUS pooch pool, (laughs) and now the pooch. Yeah, that was that was that was very gratifying. I love those stories. 
I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna put that here on the list. From now on, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do a pet survey. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, this was inspired by Adam. It's gonna be called Adam's Pet Survey. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's gonna be called. I'm literally writing that down right now. That is something <laughs> that's awesome. that is happening. I'm, I'm internet famous. Yes, <laughs> Adam's Pet Survey. Yes, I actually forgot to do our newest feature at the outset, but I guess we'll we'll do it on the weekend show. The, it turns out that the weekend last weekend I. Uh, I introduced the what the fuck meter and <laughs> that one, the what the fuck meter caught on almost right away. People had like a, had like a, a, a strong positive reaction to that concept. So we're going to do that again on the weekend, but the, the Adam's pet survey from now on will be a, a, a feature of the, the show that falls during the week. I like the, what the fuck meter even better. The come on, man, from the NFL Sunday. That that's great. Oh. I love that. Yeah, man. What the fuck meter. I think it works. It does. Uh, especially these days. I just, when I introduced it, I said the what the fuck meter is goes from one, which is just ate some cheese and grapes and now feel pleasantly sated, to <laughs> am covered in honey and laying in a nest of fire ants <laughs> at the, at ten. But I now realize that when when I first introduced it, the first person that I asked how she felt was Denise, and so I asked Denise, uh, Denise, what do you think? And she goes, I'm at a nine. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well there went my fucking meter right now. So you're like already at a nine. What else? You know already that next week something else is gonna happen so it's gonna have to be i guess a list that goes from 1 to 15 yeah and and then we'll just like keep sliding as the weeks go on i'm i'm, I'm curious what the top value will the top of the scale value will be by the end uh by the end of this year okay, it goes up to 11 at the at the very least yeah, that's just <laughs> yeah that's just if it were a marshall amp but i think this yes. is actually this is a serious situation i think we'll we'll end up being somewhere in the i don't even know we'll, but we'll extend it every week that was adam's pet survey first edition that was very gratifying mm-hmm. And now, since we talk about things that are poorly behaved, <laughs> what's your feeling about Twitter as a medium? And do you have you met any other any other pooligans? Do you interact with any of the pooligans? Is that something that you've gotten anything out of, or is that something that you pretty much leave alone? Out of? I interact with a, a good deal of the pooligans. Uh, mostly, I would say probably you and Bubbles. Uh, occasionally, Ben. Uh, I don't think Ben follows me, but then Ben doesn't really follow anybody. Um, that is a fact. Yeah, um, uh, I really am not sure. I mean, I, I I like and comment on on a lot of people's uh, posts that I see that are pooligans. So there's a lot of mutual following going on. So that's that's kind of my group is mostly pooligans. Mm-hmm. So other pooligans who are not following Adam or Matt, this is your official invitation to follow both, <laughs> uh, which I'm sure you're already wanting to do right now and probably have already done without me even mentioning it. But just in case that for whatever reason you're like so caught up by this conversation that you have not had the chance to, now would be a good time. Uh, Matt, do you interact with any other pooligans or is that not something that you indulge in? I mostly find that I um, I don't interact too much with other pooligans. When Julie will say something or I see something else that's funny, I find that I'll throw my two two cents in and the banter will kind of just go from there. But no, I, I don't find that on a regular basis I interact too much with anyone besides you. So I guess uh, you and Julie. So I uh, guess uh, you're Well, Matt, in that case, I would encourage you to, to maybe perhaps broaden your palate a little bit as fascinating as julie is and you know as as occasionally diverting as i can be the others the others also have a lot to offer they really are they really are a fun group they've really made this little experience here or this experiment extremely fun 
for for me and i think also for the other yeah. listeners it's been it's it's been yes. quite a pleasure and it's all because as i keep pointing out the people who respond to julie's show don't only seem to respond to the show but there's a, a group that responds to the show and therefore also finds that they have certain things that they communality that they share as, as far as humor is concerned or interest is concerned not that everybody's interested in the same in the same things and the it, the ages vary political leanings vary but it's it's an interesting group i think that's worth each other's attention if that makes sense yeah i think being a press pool uh listener is a bit of yeah maybe as a, a test for uh for that would indicate right we things. use it as exactly we, we use it as a litmus test yes yes yeah what is your feeling still we're still on the twitter thing what is your feeling about the medium and do you actually use it outside of the potus press pool outside of pooligans do you find twitter more useful or more harmful to both your the state of your hair being on fire and constant outrage twitter or do you find things that are valuable and interesting on twitter outside of of the potus press pool adam i do use it outside of the press pool but for the most part, it is a news gathering tool. Uh, I I follow uh, a good number of the publications that Julie has authors on from or reporters from. Interaction can get to be toxic, very toxic. And I've come to a point where I used to entertain those things and respond, and I don't anymore. Uh, I'll usually give it one or two responses, and then uh, when people start to go ad hominem, I'm done. Because it's that's no longer a debate. That's an insult fest. And I used to just mute people, and now I'm at the point where I'll just block people because it, it, I don't need that toxicity. Uh, I don't need to see it. They don't need to see. And uh, I had one person in particular started Twitter stalking me, and Aye. you know anything that I posted on, then they would throw you know nasty comments. And there was an exchange that this particular person started, which actually got into claiming to be having sex with my mother. What? My, my mother is a very sweet woman who's going to be 80 years old. And so that one I allowed to go on for maybe five or six tweets. And then I just reported the whole tweet storm and Twitter eventually suspended it. So and uh, it, that was after I had long blocked them. Yeah, so I enjoy Twitter for the most part, but people like that, and this is just my two cents worth of advice, life is too short, folks. Mm. Um, but it, it doesn't tend to get my hair on fire because I don't bother looking at things from, say, Alex Jones or Sean Hannity or, or Tucker Carlson or any of those types of online publications where uh, the word fake news could definitely be used regularly. And uh, mm. and I find myself sitting down and just when I have a moment, I'll read a story to become better informed. And typically it's just a relaxing situation. I'll sit there with my cup of ice water and take a sip here and there and and just relax and immerse myself. A little too much for mm -hmm. my wife's taste sometimes. Another thing that I thought, I think if we made did a survey of the three of us, we'd probably find that that is also something that we potentially share. Uh, Matt, do you, what about you? Do you use Twitter for Twittery means outside of the press pool or is that all you use it for? Oh, yeah, I, um, I get most, most of my news from Twitter. Um, I, uh, I, last night I was at the Billy Joel concert and I found myself itching to, uh, 
to see what was going on on Twitter. And, and there's so much. I mean, there's this whole Russia thing, and and I felt like news news breaks so often um, that it's really hard to – you feel like you're missing out on something if you just put it down. I use Twitter quite a bit. Um, my girlfriend is not happy about it. <laughs> she makes fun of me and says, oh, what you really think you miss so much. See, see um, knew it. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We it's it's a brotherhood. It's a brotherhood of of, of uh, guys whose girlfriends do not like them on Twitter, or do but not I, understand. I, I'd it like so to much. give another two cents worth of advice that's unsolicited. And it, a couple of years ago, I was way worse than I am now. And it is still important to be present when we go to dinner. The phone goes away. If we go somewhere where we're gonna like watch a movie or something like that. My phone gets silenced and stays in my pocket because that's together time. Uh, admittedly, if she's watching something that I don't care for <laughs> on television, then the phone comes out. But I'll notice sometimes out of the corner of my eye, I'm being stared at. And and she, she will say, what is it you do on that thing all day? I can only answer. I'm just trying to stay informed. Yeah, well, that's exactly what I say, and that's kind of the reason that I think I might uh, be uh, looking to try out a blind girl next. (laughs) She can hear you type, Matt. Don't even. Eh, I don't know. I'll I'll turn that setting off on the iPhone. Oh, yes, honey. Yes, honey. I I am totally doing that. I'm just sitting here and staring at you lovingly. That is what I'm doing. (laughs) Yes, that's Mm -hmm. what I'm doing. I do say it's not like I'm trying to stay informed about the world, and I, I feel like I'm getting something out of it. I don't know if I mean you go on Twitter in the guise that you're you're that it's this positive thing and you're learning and you're I hope so, I hope so. I I hope so too to be honest because otherwise most of my most of my days are wasted. Um Adam and Matt both of you mentioned that you get a lot of your news from Twitter because you're both our Facebook users. I'm actually wondering whether you came across Facebook as a news platform and if you had any feelings about what what that is like. Uh- it is a vast, and not to use Julie's word for her own show, but it is a vast cesspool. Uh, the bad kind. Yes, yes, uh-huh. the bad kind. The and bad. before the words fake news even were becoming part of the lexicon, I would look at stuff and go, and this includes stuff on the left and stuff on the right, and I would see something that would pop up that a friend would share, and I would look at it, and. I would follow the page because it, and because they they were and I can only guess that they were probably from Russian sources to foment you know a discord that I would they would start off with stuff that seemed completely reasonable but as time went on the articles became more and more ridiculous and where I think it came to a head for me was there was a very often shared article which talked about Hillary Clinton after Donna Brazile had taken over the DNC, that Mm -hmm. there was some screaming match behind, I don't remember if it was a talk show appearance or after uh, um, after one of the debates where she told Brazile that, or called Brazile a brain-dead buffalo, was the phrase, and it was where that phrase comes from, that if that son of a bitch wins, we're all going to hang. And I tried to source that, and I 
Googled some of the key phrases, and everything led me back to the exact same article from some publication I'd never heard of. That, to me, was what, what cemented the whole fake news thing, and it wasn't just on the right, it was on the left as well. Just as bad, mm -hmm. if not worse. So Facebook is not really my news gathering source, and I unliked a lot of pages. And I still follow, like, The Hill. I want to say occasionally I still see stuff from forward progressives, but for the most part, uh, I don't get much of my news from Facebook anymore. Mm. Matt, do you have any opinion on Facebook as a news source? I, I don't really have that many Facebook friends, so I am... I. I'm not so spammed with people sharing articles and their views on things. I um I follow, you know, the same sources I guess I follow on Twitter, the New York Times, uh The Hill, The New Yorker and, and uh The Atlantic and a, bu a bunch of those. I, I I think for me at least my experience cuz you with these things you really choose your own experience, you know. Uh, and, and that's what kind of makes them so great is that you personalize your experience. And for me, uh, I don't see too much spam or any fake news, but I imagine if I had way more Facebook friends, um, I would experience that. Probably. So here's my little pitch right now for those of you listening to this who happen to be listening to this and who are on Facebook but are not on Twitter. Come find us on Twitter. We promise there's there's docile people. You've heard maybe some some pretty disconcerting stories about Twitter, but put in hashtag pooligans, friend, friend some pooligans, make friends with us, friend Julie, go to the friends that we have, just go through the list. You'll find a lot of the publications that uh, whose reporters are frequently on the on the POTUS press pool. Or go to go to Julie's friends list, friend the people that you find on there, and I think you'll improve your news intake considerably over what goes on on Facebook. And it it occasionally sounds like a crazy and 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 weird and trolly place, but the majority of us, of the majority of the people that you've heard on this podcast, met through Twitter only and never would have met if it weren't for Twitter. Yeah. And it's been yeah. it's been I think I can I can speak for for the people that we've had on it's been a, a really rewarding experience. So come find us, come join us, come play with us and 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 discuss and and find some really great news sources and and leave Facebook for for the more personal stuff. And and don't use it so much for for news. That would be my that that's my quick pitch for for the Facebook only users among us. I think um, Twitter was even kind of struggling, I guess, with that as a company and their growth is that people, I guess, feel uh, feel like getting into the medium mm -hmm. is daunting. Like there's all this yeah. happening, and it's it's hard to jump in. And the, their growth, I think, has been um, a bit. Stagnant in terms of users, I guess, despite it being such a prominent platform these days. I mean, so much news is broken. I mean, it's the the president's favorite media. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. It just, I think, I think the the uh, Trump situation definitely has changed what Twitter is in a significant way that cannot be that can't be underestimated or 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 overstated. It it really has made it something that previously I believe it was not. And, and given it a significance as a platform that is extremely outsized. But conversely, just today on the press pool, we learned that when, when some data scientists went through Facebook and checked out who does most of the political ads, the, it was, I mean, the amount of Donald Trump ads on Facebook was 
way, way, way more by a by a huge margin than the next than whatever followed next. Yeah, I thought I heard. So that. It, it, yeah, so both social platforms are definitely inundated and and have been trumped extensively. <laughs> But I, I, but I would submit that despite, like Matt is saying, and you're, you're absolutely right. I, when I originally picked up to, or made my Twitter account, I just sat in a Starbucks somewhere and couldn't even come up with a decent name. I already told that story. That's how I ended up with my name. I could not figure it out. I, I wanted to get into it and I considered myself quite savvy. I had been on, you know, everything from CompuServe to AOL chat rooms to Friendster, MySpace, Facebook. And then this Twitter thing came along and I never for a moment doubted that I could just pick that up and get straight into it and that would be fine. But it turned out it was not. Un bizarrely unintuitive. And uh, so it, it took a while for me to to understand how that was all meant to go. So I, I understand f why Facebook feels familiar and much easier and friendlier to people. But still, I would encourage you to check out the Twitter and you too can disappoint your significant other. <laughs> yes, you too can disappoint your significant other and have um, people occasionally send you nasty yes. things. Yes, but you also <laughs> find a whole group of people. And the top line pitch is you will be able to send questions to Julie during the program. I don't, I don't really think you need to know <laughs> much more than that. And as has been pointed out many times on this program if crack cocaine is a very powerful drug wait until you've had your name read on the press pool the first time and see how you feel at that point about ever going back to facebook mm -hmm. anyway moving on now definitely from the social media angle da, 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 da. actual politics <clears throat> last week was scotus week which none of us really remember anymore because it was followed by a european excursion that's how President Trump berate NATO members before rekindling large, unconsumed bromance with our friend Vladimir Putin. Um, and that Helsinki summit has really been reverberating since Monday. The president seemed to create some sort of equivalence between Putin's narrative and the emphatic opinion of the American intelligence community. And those statements were widely condemned by both by Democrats and also by Republicans. The president has been busy walking that statement sort of back and forth. At some point, taking it back and then a few hours later saying that maybe, though, it could still possibly have been somebody else and it probably was, but it was likely the Russians, but maybe perhaps not at all. And so I'm curious, uh, how did you gentlemen feel about what you saw this week and how long do you think this story will still go on and, and what will its repercussions be in the in the near future? Well, I'll jump in. It's uh, This was my hair on fire week. Uh, it, it was actually my it, I, my hair's been kind of on fire since Trump even said he was going to meet with Putin because I'm going to follow the popular line of thought that it legitimizes him. It legitimizes the invasion of Ukraine. I consider Putin not not the Russian Federation, but I consider Putin himself to be an enemy to the United States. I wouldn't have a problem with him speaking to him on the phone, but my hair has been on fire. <laughs> it's, it, the, the European excursion didn't help uh, because he's calling our allies foes and our enemy a competitor. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've just been driven nuts. And if you saw a crazy man driving down the road screaming at his radio, 
that would have probably been me. It, it's it's been that kind of week, huh? <laughs> yeah, it, it it absolutely has. I've just been going crazy, and like I said, my wife isn't really even. There it hasn't been very much into politics, but my influence is rubbing off, and I even in discussing it, she's like, "So what happened today in Europe?" And I started to tell her, and she facepalmed. And I was actually pretty proud of her because she she's yeah. starting to get it. Yeah, um, it 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 is surreal. It is absolutely surreal. One of the more problematic things for me is on on a messaging front. I just think that this White House, with like the president's statements, and then the White House's com shop contradicting that, and the president contradicts that i mean the messaging has just been awful um with everybody in this administration wildly just it's they don't feel at all like they're on the same page i guess because they aren't and i was talking about this tonight with somebody that it just it is a bit scary i guess when you have the president saying things that are just outright you know objective falsehoods or just clearly bullshit far-fetched yes far-fetched ways of covering up something else i mean what would what would we need our leader i guess to have some credibility with the people what what is going to happen when the moment comes where we need to look to the president for stability i mean has he squandered all his credibility if there was to be a 9-11 type event where we look to our president would he have any credibility what would that i guess scares me i think looking to trump for any kind of stability uh to use an old phrase i think that ship has sailed (laughs) today's survey that was put out swiftly actually after what happened on monday said that a vast and i'm a vast majority of republicans agree with the way that Trump handled the Russia situation and don't feel at all conflicted by what they saw or by what they heard. And so I'm 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 curious whether whether you guys think that that might ever change and I'm not talking I think everybody sort of agrees that there is a, a roughly 30% contingent of hardcore hardcore Trumpkins that will Trump no matter what happens, they will be Trumping no matter what. But we're talking about, I think it was 78%, I believe was the number or or even more. And so I'm I'm curious whether as hair on fire as, as the liberals, I think justly were, and some of the establishment Republicans were, it doesn't seem to come across that way to the Republican voter in general. It's a head scratcher to me. It really is. Uh, it, <laughs> I'm, I'm flummoxed, flabbergasted, almost speechless, but I'm never speechless. <laughs> it's, uh, um, <laughs> my wife would be the first to tell you I've always got something to say. <laughs> and unless, uh, unless you're on Twitter. Uh, yeah, yeah exactly. And, and, but I, I don't get it. And I heard somebody say it, and they might have even said it on, on Julie's show. Is this the bizarro world? Is this opposite day? Because it used to be that Republicans were the big Russia hawks. And it just doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah, those, those hawks appear to have fled the roost and yes. are evidently not coming back. It doesn't seem so. Any statement that any Republican makes that would indicate that Russia had any role in getting Trump elected, I guess they see as completely delegitimizing their victory. And I guess whether or not that happens, 
we can debate. I think the intelligence community has been clear about that. But Russia has, I guess, succeeded in sowing doubt. <laughs> I mean, look at look at what our country has kind of devolved into. If they, whether or not they did anything, they've sown doubt, and I guess that's success. Before we started this, I was reading a political article, and the political article was about the next. So the the next permutation of what you just described is that there are now right wing commentators going with the line, well, if the Russians helped him win the election, then we're actually grateful to the Russians. <laughs> right. That's that's apparently the emerging talking point right now on on right wing sites. And I mean, who do you see in terms of leadership on the Republican side? That really is is going to say otherwise. I mean, Jeff Flick, he kind of talks a big game, but he's he's going to be gone mm-hmm. soon. I mean, do you see anybody that is really going to stand up um, on the Republican side? Absolutely I not. I mean, yeah, I mean, if we're saying actual politicians in a position to make a difference, nobody, zero. Nobody. I don't think anybody, but I mean, I, we talked about this, I think on Sunday. Why would they? They're getting, they're getting Supreme Court picks. There's a good chance that they might even get another one. They're getting, they're getting other court appointees at a rate that has never really been seen before. And they're pushing EPA deregulation. They're pushing, now they're, they're trying to get hunters happier because now they're going to change the way that, that uh, habitats are going to be protected. Right. Yeah. They're getting this entire wish list of things that are all payoffs of things that they've wanted for a long time. And if they have to basically deal with the one moron who keeps saying stuff that they don't necessarily agree with, he is a useful idiot. Mm Mm-hmm. A useful idiot. And he is an extremely, I'm sorry if that sounds extremely hyperpartisan, I apologize, but I think he may be the most useful idiot that has ever existed as far as the right is concerned. I guess that was the bargain, yeah. I guess, that Mitch McConnell kind of struck. Um, I mean, this is this is what they got. They're, this is what they're cashing in on um, for... You know, having to stand with him through all of those controversies, this is the end result that um, that that Mitch McConnell foresaw. And I guess props to him because look, he's he's passing tax cuts, he's passing deregulation, and like you said, uh, they're gonna they're going to change the Supreme Court. Um, and there's nothing the Democrats can do to stop it. At least not until November. How do you guys feel about the, yes. the how do you guys feel about the blue wave versus the blue ripple? Well, how do you can guys I, feel can about I jump that? back for a second? Just just playing off of, of your um, useful idiot. Uh, we we can test our young friend on uh, on another old reference. I think that Trump is the pinnacle of the Peter principle. Are you familiar with that one, Matt? I am not. No. Okay. The simplest explanation, one rises to the level of their incompetence. Mm. Hmm. Oh, right. Rise. Sure. Now, can I test you? Um, do you know who Mick, Nicki Minaj is? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Singer with a big butt. Um, Anaconda. <laughs> okay. It was only fair. It was only yes. fair. I, I, well, I, it, in, in uh, giving... Uh, full disclosure: I do have a 24-year-old daughter, so I, I'm I am aware of of quite a bit of pop culture, and uh, it would disgust Julie to hear this, but I'm actually even kind of a, a low-key fan of of Katy Perry and Taylor Swift. So 
Um, oh, I'm yeah, I'm actually going to the Taylor Swift concert in New Jersey on Sunday. Oh, I'm envious. That should be a lot of fun. Yes, my girlfriend. I cannot fan. believe we just had this conversation. Please cut everybody. <laughs> I know. Please, everybody, take a moment to recover from that. Uh, <laughs> it was two mostly grown men congratulating each other on their love for Taylor Swift. <laughs> that, is, that is that is where we're at. Uh, Actually, I think that's a perfect segue to our next segment. Guns. All right. That sounds actually like something that Taylor Swift would be into. I believe so. Yes, not, not, I mean, not stereotyping anyone, but just saying. Adam, I have to ask. I am actually, I, I own a, a whole number of handguns. Uh, my grandfather was okay. a hunter who, who also loved to have artisans make rifles. It, 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 and, oh, wow. and they had like, it was, it was really beautiful. So Switzerland has, not maybe not the most known thing outside of people who know anything about guns, but but Switzerland obviously has a very rich gun culture and, and history of of making guns, especially with with Sig. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I'm so I'm I'm really curious. We were talking about this a little bit when we when we first chatted about the liberals with guns is not really a, a thing, and so I, why don't you tell us a little about about a, a little bit about your relationship with guns and where that maybe how that how that came about and Uh, i used to be the other way on guns and during the clinton assault weapons ban so-called i hate that term i was one of those being a young person what do you really need that for so i had no problem with it being banned but as time went on i kind of was interested in keeping a handgun in the house for protection but when I had kids in the house, I just didn't want to. It was just something I, uh, I was kind of low on the learning curve, other than firing a twenty-two rifle at Boy Scout camp, which was probably my favorite part of Boy Scout camp that <laughs> in archery. And uh, you know, but uh, but I was brought up thanks to Boy Scout camp uh, and a mother who absolutely hated guns, still does, uh, who refers to me as her redneck son because I, I'm into guns, rifles, and uh, I've got a pickup truck, which she doesn't understand. It's a foreign concept to her from a boy raised Jewish in the suburbs. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, as as time went on, I wanted to keep a gun in the house, and I really was a big study of it, And but I waited until the kids were gone. We picked up a gun that was uh, secondhand a number of years ago, and uh, when we we did so. It was it was like I said, a secondhand gun. It was a former police issue, uh, Smith and Wesson, and it is as inaccurate as inaccurate can be. Uh, a few years ago, for Valentine's Day, which coincided with uh, getting a relatively nice tax refund, we got ourselves a pair of uh, Springfield uh, XD Mod Twos, which are a, a uh, gun chambered in 45s and i just love that i love stuff that goes bang that's part of it <laughs> like if we go to a if we go to a fireworks display i don't give a darn about all the flowers and stuff i want to hear the ones at the beginning at the end that go boom you know even with air protection i like something that i can feel i started to get into rifles i was looking at shotguns and i was looking at uh semi-automatic rifles the AR-15 was consideration, and I was just getting ready to uh, pick out which one exactly I wanted, and then Sandy Hook happened. And regardless of how liberal I am, 
people started talking about another assault weapons ban. ban. And I thought to myself, well, if I'm going to get one and they're going to have a ban, odds are with it, it's going to be grandfathered because I just don't see confiscation with the Second Amendment culture in this country. So I went to purchase and it was not possible. So I became an amateur gunsmith out of necessity and I scoured sites thanks to the internet. Not going to give advertisements, but if anybody tweets me, I'll be happy to tell them where I got my components. I found the uh, U.S. military manuals from Colt on how to take apart and put together an M16, which is the military variant of the AR-15. After I had the AR-15 for a couple of years, one of my proudest moments, I took it out to, we have a friend who is a former military, uh, retired sniper from the military, uh, was an armorer both for the military and for a police department, and a SWAT team member. And I handed him a AR-15, and we recited it in, and he said, this is probably the finest first-time build I've ever seen. I'm impressed. Damn. So That is, yeah. that is serious business. Being a technician by trade, that's, that's part of what I enjoy. I did a lot of study before I built the first one, and... Uh, and getting the compliments that I got from someone who's a definite professional, that just kind of, it, it keyed me in. So it, I have a lot of other hobbies that I spend way too much money on. So, you know, I'm not one of these guys who's got a safe full of 50 guns, but someday maybe. A an aspirational goal. Yes, <laughs> yes. And how do you feel about gun control, generally speaking? How did you feel before you first had your own experiences with guns, and how do you feel now? Has it has it changed, or have experiences like Sandy Hook, all the horrible things that happened after, have they have they shaded your your ideas about about any kind of handgun or or rifle at all? Living in Illinois, we've got people will be quick to tell you when they cite uh, Chicago gun violence statistics that. Illinois and Chicago in particular, where I do not live, have the most stringent gun requirements in the country. Mm -hmm. um, and just a little bit of background. In Illinois, if you want to own a firearm of any kind, you have to have a firearm owner's identification card, which requires you to go through a state police background check. Uh, you have to be fingerprinted. You, the state has your photograph. And that's required for any gun purchase and for even any ammunition purchase. I would not be unhappy if that was the law of the land in all 50 states. In addition, and I don't, this is one where I don't know how to implement the policy, but something definitely needs to be done where people who have a mental health issue who are under care of a psychiatrist or psychologist who, if there is any possibility of violence to themselves or others, I believe that there should be some sort of a registry that goes in adjacent to the, the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms background check for criminal activity. Mm -hmm. Because that seems to be a good most of the people that there are, that, that have perpetrated these horrible shootings have noted mental issues 
And I think that's what we really need to attack. It's really a tragedy. I think most of the gun deaths in the U.S. are not actually these tragedies. They're, of course, suicides. And no. and and mm-hmm. those are, unfortunately, much harder to track. And, and it, it every time I go back to Europe, you know, in, in, in Switzerland, there's a it's Swiss, uh, Swiss uh, military used to be obligatory. It's it's now a little bit different, but it's mandatory. So, and every Swiss yeah. citizen used to get a a rifle and a handgun. Uh, mm-hmm. That was that was part of that. So, so every Swiss home that had somebody who went to the military, which meant basically every male that lived uh, that lived in Switzerland had access to a rifle and to a handgun. And the phenomenon that that that's or the phenomenon of the of the United States just never occurred, despite the fact that every home uh, was equipped with a rifle and a handgun. But now people that that counter that fact mm-hmm. will say, and I don't know if there's any truth to this because I've never been to Switzerland, mm-hmm. that you're not allowed to keep ammunition in the home. Is that true? No, that's false. Okay, okay. Good. That's that's just an additional talking point for me. Mm-hmm. But so in 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 summary, you would not be super pleased by by uh, the idea that AR-15s, for instance, or by by let's say a like let's say after Trump is president. I know that seems unlikely, but let's say we at some point again have a have a democratic president. Um, yeah, and they bring back the assault weapons ban. That is not something that you would be enjoying. It would not be something that I enjoy. Um, could you could you live with would, it? If there's a grandfather clause, I can live with it. Now, I'm a law-abiding citizen. Why are you going to challenge my rights when someone who is not a law-abiding citizen, by definition, is not abiding by laws? So if you're going to ask me to turn in my AR-15 because it's banned, mm-hmm. several million of them out there on the streets I'm sure. that that are in the hands of people that, well, not in the streets, but in people's homes that are simply not going to turn them over willingly. Do Matt, do you have any gun opinions, my friend? Um, do I have any gun opinions? Um, it, I am not a gun owner. I, uh, I don't think I will ever really be a gun owner, but, um, I guess I, I, I understand both sides. I do, I do think a lot of the controversy revolving like mass shootings and stuff like that could be addressed in more of a uh, community policing way that would be a bit um, less easier to pass and easier to implement because, um, you know, there is the firewall of gun rights in this country Mm -hmm. that is hard to Mm -hmm. overcome. I respect that. Yeah. Every time that one of those real tragedies happens, it just seems like it wasn't that there were no signs. Right. And the community exactly. policing seems to seems to not work. And like like Adam said earlier, gun safety and basic gun safety is something that most people just do not adhere to. And they they get their gun safety tips from movies which do not show gun safety ever at all and never accurately. It's just starts with people holding handguns sideways because somehow that looks cool that's gangster yeah but i mean even the even the the absolutely dumbest things that you can possibly imagine and then you go to gun ranges and you see people trying to hold the gun sideways and getting popped in the face with their uh, with their shell casing so but that and that's not even that's not even really real gun safety but the amount of the amount of accidental shootings and firings whether it's fbi agents doing backflips on dance floors 
or or uh, kids shooting their mothers at Walmart because they take the gun out of their purse. People lack the respect and lack the basic motivation to to practice good safety. It's like having it's like having people not needing driver's licenses and just driving on instead of roads driving on sidewalks. Yeah, I don't see anything um just based on the fact that it would be impossible to pass. I um that's that that I guess is is what it comes down to is every time there's a tragedy, there's a push to do something. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as, you know, a few weeks pass, a few months pass, um, we revert back to where, you know, our homeostasis on, on gun control. And it's, it's senators don't want to pass stuff because their constituents don't want this, um, at least in this, in this political environment. In order to cleanse our palate from this irretractable problem, we're now going to go to Matt and he's going to tell us about something totally not violent, which is, I'm actually curious how you went from doing, from, playing piano which i assume class is classical piano or jazz piano yeah how you went from so from classical piano and also teaching piano to being interested in classic rock how do how did those two things happen uh yeah my dad would always play for me uh you know led zeppelin and his his records and and i kind of just i got into it i uh i caught the uh caught the bug and uh, my girlfriend hates it. She says it grinds in her new ears whenever <laughs> I play. Uh, Ouch. Se- yeah, seventy stuff. And yeah, and, and I'm uh, taking one for the team and going to see Taylor Swift this weekend. So I don't know if this is a fair trade off. I would uh, trade it for some Iron Butterfly if I yeah. were you. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I, I caught the bug and, and I I love it. I I love the raw sound. Uh, the music today it just doesn't have like. A, there's just an element missing. It's too polished. That that you know, 70s and 80s and 60s rock has has just this factor about it that seems real. Instruments, for instance. Yeah, I mean, but even you know, even music that has more instruments these days, it just it lacks the uh, a rawness that that a, a Cream record has, or or Bad Company, or stuff like that. I cannot tell you how refreshing that is to hear from somebody who's <laughs> younger than the age of 45. <laughs> yes. That is that is very encouraging. So w- what all instruments do you play? Uh, I play piano and I play guitar and I can also play a little bit of drums. How about bass? A bit of bass. Um, a bit of bass. I get slapped the bass a bit. Yeah, we have it. There's a strong bass contingent in the Pooligan Pool, it turns uh, out. Oh, really? Huh. I wonder mm-hmm. why. I wonder what about the bass, um, what about the Pooligans tracks bassists? Well, I, w- I was a bass player in a band for a while, and, and uh, so was Bubbles also plays bass uh, in a band. And so he actually plays with his son, who plays guitar. And uh, yeah, so there's, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of bass playing. For me, it was very simple. I just wanted to play bass because I didn't have the patience to learn how to, keep, how to uh, play the guitar. But I was 17 and really wanted to be on a stage. So there, I guess, enter bass. Yeah, so it was just the most, the most direct, the most direct way straight to the stage. Also, there was like no expectation at all. I just had to get a few notes right and sort of be able to keep up with the drummer. And other than that, it was the, you know, I would be running around and having fun and the singer would be straining the the drummer couldn't hear anything and was worried and the 
guitar player was sweating and and worried about whether or not his his effects pedals were going to work and now it's just running around playing my like six or seven notes per song and it was amazing yeah well i guess a bass player is hard to find so i guess you can always find you know some gigs I, and that's the other thing is that bass players are not the most frequently encountered, uh, not the fre- most frequently encountered. It's the road less traveled. Well, yeah, because it's the person, it's the background, it's the it's uh, it's the silent warrior, I guess. That's what that's what you guys think. Nobody just volunteers to be the background guy. I told young age. I'm, well, I'm telling you, I I was I was your age. I totally volunteered. I was like, guys. What do you need? They were like, well, we already have two guys who are going to play the guitar. We have one guy who plays the drums. And then we also have a singer. We, <laughs> we only need a bass player. I was like, what's a bass? It's like, it's like a guitar, but it only has four strings. It's, and I was like, I, I, I don't know. And he was like, well, it's much easier. And I was like, okay, well, in that case, that's me, I guess. And it worked. It turned out that the guy who has to do the least makes the most eye contact with the, uh, with the fair sex in the audience. That worked out really well, actually. I, I, yeah, I guess so. So what do you, what do you play piano-wise? You also teach? Yep, I teach piano. I also teach a bit of guitar. And uh, yeah, I, I, play, I play some classical, but I also I play some, uh, some rock, some Billy Joel. Um, I like Boston. Are you, form, are you formally in a band or are you a, a solo performer? Uh, um, I don't do that much performing these days. I used to be, when I was younger, I used to be in a few bands and I did some wedding stuff and gigs like that. But right now I really just teach um, and, and I play uh, play for my own enjoyment. It makes sense. Yeah, no, we should, at some point we have to get a band together. We can have Brandon singing. You're going to be the, you're going to be the flex player the because flex you can player. do pretty much everything. <laughs> and then Bubbles and I are going to have dueling basses, which is also not something you find too, uh, too frequently. Hey, I can roadie. Oh, yes. And we have a roadie. Fantastic. Always need those. If there's any stage divers, Adam can uh, protect us. Yes. And, and uh, for the younger person, there's a real good movie to look for on that subject. It starred Meatloaf. Roadie. Mm. Good movie. Good horrible movie, I should say. Roadie. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm partial to Almost Famous. That's a good one as well. Spinal Tap. Or Spinal Tap, yes. sure. Yes. Spinal Tap, nice. Our 26-year-old keeps coming up with, uh, well, actually, he's at the moment still technically 25. Yeah. Still keep, keeps, keeps coming up with good 70s and 80s references. Um, <laughs> yes. We're all, positively, we're all positively surprised, Matt. It's been... Uh, <laughs> It's been it's been encouraging. I, <laughs> wow! Yes. No avocado toast. Just no straight avocado. Led Zeppelin. No yoga. Like no yoga bread. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no yoga bread. I actually had a I I had a terrible experience. The when was it? Yesterday. I walked the dog with a friend of mine, and on the way back there was you, there's now birds, you know, going up and down my street all the time. Not the kind that flies, but the kind that's a little black scooter, that uh, a little black rechargeable scooter. And uh, I guess somebody of roughly Adam and my age finally dared to use a bird and I face planted almost right in front of my house. Oh. And there was just there was blood on the sidewalk, police uh, uh all kinds of emergency services they had they they carried him away on a stretcher yeah, yeah. Oh, man. and uh, and and one of the people standing there was like i'm gonna tell my grandson this he's a millennial <laughs> they like this but not this millennial uh, sure matt is not that kind of millennial no, not matt that is, kind of millennial matt is the good kind <laughs> yeah not, the Ju- good. not the julie millennial voice kind the good kinds 
actually we haven't heard that julie where's the millennial voice yeah. if you're listening to this we're missing the millennial voice yeah. kind of there has not been you know what since her return have there been any voices at all actually huh. i think now that she's all a serious juror yeah elizabeth warren she uh she's skimping us on the impressions yeah i agree with matt something's happening <laughs> well she did she did do a uh, elizabeth warren oh, the yes. other day um, but I will have to probably raise my hand and say the millennial voice thing might be my fault. It might be your fault. What did because you do, Adam? It might, might, well, uh, I was attempting to be funny and, uh, as I usually make that attempt and I made a, a comment that it, it kind of turns me on and I think that kind of turned her off. Oh, so, <laughs> so. <laughs> Adam has his wife doing millennial voice. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. I might, have, I might have to find a replay uh-huh. of that and, and see if I can get her to. Oh my god. Okay, well that on on that note, well, as as Adam as Adam gets his wife to do I might have my girlfriend do the Elizabeth that. Warren. <laughs> oh Matt, oh Matt. <laughs> <laughs> um okay so gentlemen it's it's really late where matt is it's late where adam is and over here it's only ten thirty. so so i'm fine but um it has been a pleasure gentlemen thank you Likewise. thank, thank you, you so much so for much for me. doing this with me yes thank, uh-huh. thank you no it's me. it's been extremely fun yeah thank you both I I wish you both a good night. Thank you for sticking with it. And with that, I think we have ended number... What is it? Episode 7. Yes. Episode 7 comes to a close. Matt, Adam, thank you so much. As I mentioned earlier, follow Matt and Adam on Twitter. Their Twitter handles are, of course, in the title of this podcast. Follow them immediately. Join Twitter. Come join us over there. And we will see you this weekend. And that's it. Goodbye.